Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Barrels and Business podcast. Today, we plan to deliver you an entertaining hour or so of conversations with an amazing friend of mine, Rory Callahan. Now, we're going to go through things like the best surf spots in the world, quintessential quivers, some product recommendations, worst wipeouts in the surf, but also in business, and give you some tangible tips on how you can start scaling your business so that you can have more time, money, and freedom. So welcome, Rory. Thank you for joining us today. Um, I will give you a little snapshot on Rory. So Rory is actually super dear to my heart. He is a very special person to me because, oh God, I'm going to tear up, Rory. Um, (laughs) Because I met Rory at a time in my life when I was trying to decide whether I should continue with the ego-based business and all of the awards and all the things I was doing or to shift, shift gears, pivot, about face and start following my heart and my passion and really my purpose. And that was in Bali at a course called iLab and Rory was my facilitator. And not only did Rory hold space for me, but he gave me some pretty tough love. <laughs> Little. And the key thing I love about Rory is his ability to shine the light on where you should look for an answer rather than just giving you the answer, rather than just serving it up on a platter. And like, we don't really take things in that way. We learn much better when we can come to the conclusions ourselves. So Rory has been an amazing mentor for me and I now get to facilitate the the iLabs with him in Bali. So it's taken me a full circle as well. And I just really love what he's doing with the self-care revolution around the world and this concept of how we can create blue zones. Mm. So, Rory, before I ask you to give us your story, I want to ask you one question. Go for it. What is one thing you do not want people to know about you? (laughs) One thing... One thing I don't want people, I'm pretty open and pretty honest with, with, uh, with most things. Um, the thing that I don't want people to know about, I'll, go, I'll dive deep pretty quick. The one thing that I was, I, was, uh, I was pretty ashamed of for a long, long time in my life was, um, was growing up, we had a pretty, we had a beautiful family. Like um, my mum was, you know, she was a powerful soul, single mum, but my, uh, my dad actually suffered from mental health issues and I was pretty ashamed by that, you know, and uh, it led him to like alcoholism and like literally living homeless on the streets that I grew up in. And, you know, I'd walk past and, you know, I'd see him on the way to school and like all my friends would be kind of laughing at this homeless dude and I'd have to go up and say, g'day dad, what's up? And uh, that's something that I used to really shy away from sharing, but you know, he taught me so much about compassion and empathy and, and the way that my mum spoke of him in such a beautiful, beautiful way about how much of an amazing artist he was and the type of person that he was from the inside meant that I never really saw him as, you know, this homeless dude on the street. And, and uh, yeah, that's probably, if I dive real deep, that's the one thing that I used to be really, like, coy and, and like, I wouldn't share with people. But I think that's that's the big reason why I do what I do when you talk about self-care and all these type of things. And here's a big reason why I get out of bed in the morning, the reason why I care about men's health. And 
uh, especially like that unknown burden of, of mental health, something I've, I've gone through in my own business journey and my own life journey as well. So I think we just need to have more honest conversations and more real podcasts like this to kind of unpack it. And, you know, everyone's listening to podcasts on the way to work today. Let's just make sure this is something that's worth listening to. Yeah, I love it. Thank you so much for sharing. And I, I've been blessed to hear that, that story and the journey and how it's impacted you and how it shapes what you do. So mm. let's go a little bit more now into, into the Rory story. Yep. What do you want to know? I'm an open book. You're a, I know you're an open book. So give us a bit of a background. How did you end up to be living in Bali and living the life that you're living right now? What's, what's the bio background? But, with the oh, real, man, but not the real elements. I don't, want, I don't want the shiny. And I know you won't give me that. I don't need to prep you. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, this little villa that I'm in now, I'll start with the end in mind. Like it's just a simple little yeah. two-bedroom two-bedroom villa in, um, in Bali. It was on my vision board like five or six years ago. And, um, yeah, all that, like, I guess, uh, what is it, Joe Dispenza and those guys, they, they talk about, like, conscious engineering, and Vision Lakiani and, and the Mind Valley crew and all these communities I've been part of, they all talk about this concept that we can kind of manifest and consciously engineer our own reality. And, um, you know, that, that was something that I always like dreamt of. It was like a dream in my mind. Like uh, I always had this ideal lifestyle, this ideal way of living and being and serving like in, in my mind. And uh, um, I think, you know, coming from a background where, you know, we didn't live in scarcity, but we, we didn't, didn't have access to a lot of things that a lot of people around me did. But then, you know, when my mum took me traveling at 13, she kind of, she really like, um, she showed me that that view of the world was very flawed. And, uh, um, I, you know, we, we lived paycheck to paycheck up until about 13 mum paid off, paid off her house and she was debt free. And then all of a sudden she's come home with three round the world tickets and said, you know, to my, myself, and my brother that, you know, Rawls were going around the world. And uh, I kind of like laughed at it because you know, maybe two months before that we were kind of struggling to get through the month with food. So, you know, the thought of like leaving the comfort zone of Perth and, you know, it was a, a city that I'd, I'd never really left other than a couple of little trips here and there was, uh, it's like that story, the frog in the well, who like has that conversation with the turtle who's in the sea and, you know, like I'd just been this frog in this little well for my entire life and I didn't even know that the sea existed. I'd seen it on TV shows and, you know, all that type of stuff. But, um, but yeah, long story short, she came home and she goes, here's like put the tickets on the table like the next day and she goes, we've got two weeks. I'm taking you out of school for, for a month because that year was finishing and I'd, I'd kind of come back in Feb, uh, March next year. And, um, and off we went and my brother wasn't able to come because he had a tough decision to you know, uh, get a mature age apprenticeship, which was like his last opportunity to do what he loved which, as an electrician. And he chose to stay and I always wondered what would happen if he came on that trip because, you know, mm-hmm. that really, it, it really, it broadened my map of reality to dimensions that I could, I could never return from, you know, and it gave me this perspective of the world that was very unique. Um, and I'll, I'll share a little bit about that in a second. And, and, uh, and yeah, so then me and mum went off on this trip and, you know, in this round the world trip, went to Bali, this probably a reason why I'm here now because I felt the culture. I felt this, uh, this karma based circular and shared economy. You know, the people like I remember this guy, Wayan, he was the first taxi driver we met and he was so giving and he was talking about the offerings in the front of his car and it was all about happiness and connection. And, you know, somewhere, somehow along the journey, I learned that he was living off 150 bucks a month and supporting his family. And that made me realize like as a young 13 year old, I had like 150 bucks in my pocket and uh, my worldview shifted straight away. And I was like, holy crap, like 
know, I've been given every opportunity in life. I've been given the golden ticket by being born in Australia and it, and it kind of planted a seed for me to, you know, some, somewhere in my life, like take advantage of these opportunities and, and come back and make sure that I circulate that and provide opportunities for, for other people in the world. And, um, yeah. So that was like 13 and, you know, I saw a lot of things in that trip. You know, I saw like a young girl dying of malaria in Thailand. I saw, you know, people paying a thousand francs or whatever euros for um, a pair of shoes in the Champs-Élysées in Paris. You know, I, I saw New Orleans before um, before it got, you know, um, hit by that hurricane. And I saw people with like pure passion. And, you know, I gave a kid a pen in, in the Lake Titicaca down in Peru and Bolivia and he burst into tears because he'd never been given anything. And, and I guess that trip, like when I came home, we went through Disneyland and all that type of stuff. Like I just no, no longer cared about like material possessions. And, um, and my mum showed me something. And this is, I guess you said before, it's like, you know, she could have told me all this stuff about like mm-hmm. how to be and the values, but she showed me the world. And, um, you know, when I came home, like, you know, other kids in my class were arguing about their Nike shoes and I was still wearing my Tajay shirts and, like I didn't really care. I just like none of that mattered to me anymore. Like I actually got home, put all my like extra pens and stuff in a box and like wrote on the top of the box. So I was like um, Island in Lake Titicaca. And like, I was like, mom, send, send, send this to that kid. And uh, she took it and obviously she didn't know how to send it, but I don't know what she did. She <laughs> might've might donated some charity or even tried to get it there. But that was kind of like, that's, that's where things really started for me. And then, um, you know, growing up, uh, like being the only kid in my family that, uh, uh, well, the first person to graduate from university, I'm always like backed me up and said I had the brains to do it. And she always said I was the hope of the side. And that kind of like, um, <clears throat> that gets me a little bit, but yeah. Um, shit, I didn't even know that was a treat for me, but, um, but, uh, why was but, yeah. Rory, can you delve into why that triggered you then? Yeah. I don't know. I, I really don't know. Um, I uh, mean, I think just having a single mother who had this like unconditional love and like belief in me my entire life. Like she was that one that, um, you know, when I wanted to go play footy down at the footy club, she was the one behind the scenes that was like, you know, moving, moving things around and, and uh, like kind of empowering me to take a step and just like show up. And, you know, I was too scared and fearful and she just always had this belief in me. And, and sure enough, like as a young kid, like I'd like walk down to this footy club and I was like, Hey coach, I want to play. And next thing I ended up playing with them for the next five or six years. So she always like gave me, gave me this foundation to stand on and, um, and this like belief. And, um, I remember later in life talking to this teacher who was talking about whether kids become good kids or bad kids. And I asked her what was the, the one thing that determined whether a kid was, you know, went down the right path or the wrong path. And, and she basically said, she's like, there's one person in their corner that just believes in them and unconditionally loves them. It could be, and as she said, it's usually a woman. It's usually a mum or a family member or a mentor if, if they don't have that. And um, I think that's probably why it, it, really, it really got me because she's always been that for me. And, um, yeah, I know a lot of people can relate to that. And uh, it's a big reason why I do what I do now. But, um, but yeah, so that, yeah, that was kind of... Um, that got me to, to then studying and um, I remember she sat me down as well. Mum's a freaking amazing, right? I can see you're crying there too, Jade. I have the opposite, um, I have the opposite problem. <laughs> but, but this is, you know, this is, this is, this is it, right? And um, I remember I was sitting down uh, at the end of like, I think it's TE, uh, 
back then. Uh, and I'd done like physics, chemistry, calculus, English literature. Like I'd, I was like doing all the smart subjects because I thought I had to be smart to do something in the world. And, um, and uh, I just remember just before like I had to choose what we did, there was like a week, week left to kind of like decide at 17 what I was going to be for the rest of my life. And, or at least for the next five, six years of my life. And uh, I had like lawyer, engineer and all this type of stuff. And she was like, she was like, Ross, why do you, you choose that things? Those, those, uh, those particular jobs. And um, I said, well, you work with engineers and they seem to make a lot of money. And she's like, yeah, but you also see that they're never home. They're away on the rigs for like two, three weeks. She's like, do you, wanna, do you really want to do that? And I was like, no, not really. She's like, why do, you, why do you like that? And I said, well, I love fixing things. I love finding how things work. Like something in my brain, like I love, I love like mathematics and like taking things back to its simplest component and building it up and going back down. And, and that really was interesting to me. And she goes, oh, cool. Okay, can you do that in another way? And I was like, oh, maybe we'll see. And she's like, lawyer, she's like, uh, do you enjoy reading? Like, you know, and I said, not really. Hey, like I, I got through English literature without ever reading a book. And uh, I was kind of a pretty, pretty ahead of my game, but I learned how to use the internet to find summaries and actually like, you know, get through my exams by using other people's knowledge and leveraging that. And, uh, and that allowed me to play more football. And it was, it was kind of cool, right? And uh, so I was like, no, I don't want to read 10,000 pages a week. <laughs> and, uh, um, and so that crossed that out. And then she sat down. She goes, you know, that John Lennon question. She's like, um, you know, she's like, what, what makes you happy? And, uh, and I sat back and I was like, I love sport. I love helping people. And I'm really curious about the human body. And she's like, cool. She's like, can you think of anything that would, uh, you know, kind of align with that? And um, my little head went back and I sat back with it for like a week. And that was it. She didn't, again, she didn't tell me what to do. And, uh, and then I came back and I, I, without telling her, I changed it to physiotherapy, sports science. And um, I, I think I didn't even have a doctor in there. I didn't want to be a doctor. I didn't want to, I didn't want to work in hospitals. I wanted to like work with athletes. And then sure enough, you know, I, I finished uh, my exams and I didn't get a high enough score for physio straight off the bat, but uh, I got into sports science at UWA and then I went there for three years, dissected human bodies, like extracted like uh, DNA and like had it on a stick in front of me. Like that was like Ooh. evolutionary. Yeah. The blueprint like of life was like on a stick in front of me. And I just got really curious with that. And then I learned how to perform better as an athlete as I was playing at East Fair footy club. And then I broke down and got stress fractures. So then that made me curious to then pursue physiotherapy and, um, I had a, a, a lady carry at uh, um, UWA and she's another lady that believed in me. She actually put my application in to do the Masters of Physio because I didn't think I was worthy of it. And she goes, dude, you've got to do something else. She's like, you've got to go on and study more. And it's, it's this thing about having these people in our corner, I think, that believe in us before we believe in ourselves and just support us and help us take the steps and go outside our comfort zone. You know, mum took me around the world and I wouldn't have probably done that by myself. Kerry kind of helped me put the application in and, and then I got into the Masters and learned how to how to heal the human body i learned how to like do all that type of stuff and then i ended up being the senior physio at uh, the east Road footy club that i actually played for i started screening all the young kids i screened over like three four thousand young kids and try to prevent them from having the issues that i had like you know hip and groin rehab stuff and stress fractures in my back and and created a little protocol that um i put together with the west Australian footy commission i think they're still even using that now um and and yeah and that was like that was it for me. I thought that was, that was kind of like my life. I had had my dream job. I'd achieved more than most by 25, 26 and had a girlfriend I'd been with for five years. And, um, and yeah, that was kind of like, that was it, Jade, up until 25, 26. Um, and then what happened? But, 
Oh man, that's that's the good part of the story. It's like uh, uh, mum taught me a really good lesson about working hard, you know, but she forgot to tell me that uh, it's pretty hard to keep serving from an empty cup. And uh, I saw her like, you know, give and give and give, but never allow for receptivity. And I'd kind of done the same. And uh, I'd been so busy in the service of like this thing that I loved. And I had this... Um, this like little PhD uh, for the Australian Institute of Sport, AIS. And uh, I'd actually applied and I was like, sick, I'm going to go do a one-year scholarship over there. They're going to pay for and fund this whole thing and I'm going to get this this, pro- this screening protocol out to, to all the young kids around Australia. And uh, I applied and I uh, actually I missed out and I was like 26 at this time. And the, the lady that was um, went through the application, she goes, man, I just want to let you know that uh, you, you missed out this year but keep going. And I was gutted. I was like, you know, I'd kind of everything I put my mind to up until that stage, I'd kind of, I'd kind of stepped into. And but then she wrote back and she goes, "I just want to let you know, like, out of um, you know the top five or, or ten people, um, like we only chose like two or three. And she's like, I just want to let you know that the youngest person that got into this program was thirty-three, and uh, you were in the top five at twenty-six with what you're doing. So she's like, keep going. And they like sent me all these things, and we had this really cool dialogue, and I was really inspired. I was like, I was like, cool, like. I'm really going to make a difference here. And then, you know, not long after that, I just, I hit this like rock bottom moment and I just got, I couldn't get out of bed one day. I like, I literally just woke up and I just, I was just stuck, man. Like my body, I was like an iPhone battery on like, you know, 0%, like negative percent. And, you know, I'd, I'd kind of recharge it during the day with coffee or naps and things like that. And it's like that old, crappy iphone that like you know the battery just depletes really quickly right um and uh, we've all got one of those i think actually just got rid of one of those because it kind of triggered me with that but but um but yeah and i just i just remember i was a health professional who lost his health you know i had all the knowledge had all the networks i had like access to like elite networks you know that wasn't an issue and i just remember in that moment i was like no, no no one could help me like there was no one that could help me in that moment except myself. And uh, I just remember asking myself like these three like key questions. And, you know, I, I kind of, I want to inspire people to ask themselves these three questions at, at any stage in their life. And uh, the first question was, um, was I happy? And I, I like, I took a deep breath and I, I really felt into the question before like my mind consciously answered. Cause my mind was like, Oh man, you're kicking goals. You got master's degree. You got a beautiful girlfriend, like friends, but everyone thinks you're ki- ki- like killing it. But I, I said, no, I was like, oh, I'm not happy. Like deep in my, like my heart of hearts, I was not happy. Um, and then I asked, um, was I healthy? And I was like, dude, no, like I had big bags under my eyes. I've been losing weight. I've digestive issues. Um, mentally, physically, emotionally, like I remember trying to play football and like I was falling asleep in the car on the way to footy training and I couldn't perform and and uh, there were all these little signals and symptoms, right? And I just kind of woke up and self-realized that I was like, I was like a part of the very statistic that I was determined to change and I was like, holy shit, like what system am I part of where like health professionals lose their health? Um, and I knew I was a good person. I knew I had the right intention but this, the, the environments weren't nourishing for me and I knew, knew that it was all my own choices, but there were some things that were setting me up for failure too. And then the third thing was, uh, was I connected? And it wasn't just a connection to like self, but it was a connection to purpose, connection to my partner at the time, connection to the, my friends and my family. And I answered no because I hadn't 
seen or had any time to spend with them, you know? So like we were connected in one sense, but you know, there was, there wasn't that, that, that like deep sense of connection that we have with people. And that's where I just decided to change things and went on this, like this long journey to where I am, I am, I am now. So yeah, that was kind of the, the moment. If you want me to go through that, I can, but I don't want to bore you guys with that stuff. <laughs> well, it's definitely not boring because you, you made a complete transformation. Like you end up leaving the profession that you'd worked so hard to get into and creating a whole new life for yourself. And from what I see, really tapping more into your purpose and, and listening to what maybe your calling was. And I think that that's a really important thing for people to understand because so many of us work so hard to get somewhere that our ego doesn't allow us to walk away, even though we're, mm. even though with all of the, those questions you just said, so was I happy? No. Was I healthy? No. Was I connected? No. Mm. We answer no to all of them, but out of ego, um, and not saying it in a bag way, but or fear or feeling like, you know, we talk about the bullshit rules of society, the programming that we feel like we have to stay doing what we do or just try harder and you beat yourself up and you're like, well, there's something wrong with you. Like you'll figure it out. Just keep going rather than, and this mm. is, this is the gift you gave me, right? Because I was keeping my last business out of, out of ego, um, not wanting to mm. walk away from the accolades and the, all the, all the things and the money and the, the bright, shiny lights. Right. The Lamborghini. <laughs> With a surfboard out the back. Yeah. <laughs> that, um, yes. <laughs> Try put, sticking that in the front seat of a Lotus Elise. It looked hilarious. Yeah. Um, and I was like, what the fuck? And not, mm. not, and probably the more of the fear of, for me was, whoo, fuck, that's a big, if I am to follow my purpose and what I feel is true, what does that say about me? My whole identity gets destroyed. And, mm. and also the fear of what is like, what will people think? Or what if I fail? What if I can't live up to it? So can mm. you, can you talk us through how did you find, like you were burnt out. I know that. And you knew you had to make a change, but still you could have tried to stay in your lane that you had created. What, what was the catalyst and how did you make that first step to start living the life that you're living now? Hmm. I remember there was like uh there was a moment where I was like I was chasing connection and tribe and something popped up about you know, I think when you're in that moment you start seeking solutions for what you're looking for and I was seeking happiness, I was seeking health, I was seeking connection, right? And uh I do remember one of the first things that I, I did see was um is something popped up about Mind Valley and um this is where I like I really tuned into something and uh and it's funny when like you step back and you stop like being part of that hamster wheel, the rat race or whatever people want to call it. It's, uh, it's, I started seeing things. I started being a witness to my own situation and I realized that I'd been the passenger to like all these social and cultural constructs of the type of person I should be, how I should live, get the house, get the car. I did the math on buying a house and I was like, crap, I need a $400,000 loan to buy this house. And then I looked at the repayments over the next 20 years and I was like, shit, I had to give the bank 400 grand and that and pay off my 400 grand for the house. And I was like, man, I don't even think the house is going to be worth $800,000 in 20 years time. So I'm like, that's a terrible investment and terrible life choice, but everyone else seemed to be doing it. So I was kind of like, I like, I don't know. I just, I, I think, 
yeah, I was just, I just really started to see things for what they were. And, um, and it was like, yeah, it was like that shattering mirror moment where once it was seen, it couldn't be unseen. And, and then I started tuning into a different energy vibration frequency, which was this like more positivity. And it was this, uh, it was something. And uh, A-Fest in, um, in Thailand popped up. And it was one of the first ones I think they did. Like it was a really cool one. And I just like in that moment, just booked a ticket. I was like, I like, I just like what this is. I don't even think Facebook, Facebook ads were a thing back then, but it was like somehow just somewhere like along this plane, I kind of tuned into it. So I bought a ticket, just showed up and I found my people, man. I was like mm-hmm. the first step. Like I just found conscious, open-minded people that had been through a bit of pain and trauma. And then I like, I self-realized I like, Oh, it's normal. Cool. So it's not like about resisting the pain and trauma. It's about like, you know, really feeling it, but learning the lesson and then knowing that's going to happen over the rest of our life in different contexts and different ways, but finding tribe that can help like, you know, help you stay there temporarily, but give you the solutions to move out of it really quickly. And I met people that I'm still working with today. And, um, you know, Dan Russell, like built all my websites and he's been helping me build like the fill your cat platform. <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, a lot of the guys there, like, I, I just, I said to that crew, I was like, listen, here's my vision. And I kind of painted it at that stage. And like, I hadn't been on a surf trip in five years and I planned to live in Bali in this villa and all this type of stuff. And, you know, back then, you know, you got to realize that like I created this vision before any of this actually existed in reality, but there were people that were just inspiring me to do that. Like, yeah, man, write it out, feel into it, be specific, you know, give it a bit of vagueness and, um, and, and yeah, and I, t- I kind of forgot about that. And I was talking to you about this before Jade, but I'm, I said to, said to the crew, I was like, listen, I'm not going to, I'm not going to come back until I've, I've actually said what I was going to do. And it's like nearly five years later now. Um, and then that kind of, that kind of set me off on this path and I started, uh, backing off my work hours and then I found a lot of solutions to healing because I was like, I was looking for connection, found that. I was looking for health and that came in, came from nature. So like I'd spent $50,000 to $100,000, you know, going around my health professional networks over a 12 to 24 month period trying to earn my health back. Mm. And, uh, you know, I had like scans for this, scans for that. They thought I had Lyme's disease, all these things. And, you know, they were like, oh, there must be a reason you're sick. And, you know, there's got to be some like specific cause. And I was like, I, look, I stepped back and, and like I looked at myself. I was working 100 hours a week for like, three to four years yeah 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 and i was like i was in environments that didn't nourish me like i knew what to do but like my quick fix solutions were like shit i need to serve serve this patient have a coffee i just need to get through that all right okay cool now crash burn nap and then you know after three or four years it's like i was in these patterns of behavior that weren't serving me even though i knew what to do so like i actually had to back off i actually stepped out of that work environment and i was working 30 hours a week and funnily enough my patients rather than working like hundred hour a week, they all shifted into that 30 hours. My value skyrocketed, which is a massive lesson in valuing my time. And it taught me something really special in that moment. And I was earning the same amount of money uh, in 30 hours that I was in hundred hours. Right. Wow. Um, Can I just stop you yeah. on that then? What, what do you think if you were going to give someone else the advice, what was the thing that shifted that? And how does that happen? How do you go from hundred hours a week to 30 hours a week earning the same money? It was, it was, a, it was a, literally just an, uh, an internal shift. It was like I didn't value my time. I didn't value my self-worth, so I gave it away freely. But as soon as I capped my time and I, I started to value it and I said, listen, and I, I communicated it from a point of, hey, listen, I, I just need to, I need some time to, 
uh, get my health back. And, you know, like even my boss who I was working for at the time was like off me. He was like, you can't do this and da da da. And I was like, I kind of, you know, I lost a lot of respect for him in that moment because I was like, you really don't care. Like this yeah. is just about, this is health is a business for you. It's not, you don't care about the people that are working for you. You don't care about patients. You know, you're sitting me down saying like, I have to see this patient two days later, even if it's a single mum with no money because that's going to be the best thing for it. And I'm like, well, what about we give the tools now and we're like, we work with the human and there needs to be a human-centric approach to how we do it and give them the support to create the change. And it was like, that's not how the process works. You know, it's like, da, 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 da. and I was mm. like, I was like, I'm out, man. And I'm going to do things my way. I'm going to be very human centric. And I kind of, I stood back and, and, uh, and then when I, like I, I did, um, change my time, people started to change their calendar to, um, to work in my time frame, And I had to do that to heal. Right. And, uh, and the people that didn't value my time, guess what? They didn't book in. And that was the, that was a big lesson too. And once you, once you cut the crap, the, the people that don't value your time, it gives you the ability to service those who are aligned so much better and so much deeper. And then again, they value more, your money goes up. So it's about, from what I'm taking out of that, it's, it's about overcoming some of those limiting beliefs and self-worth issues and um, our... <laughs> our inability to charge what we're worth because of whatever programming is going on. And if we can work on that shit, especially if you're someone that is time for money is where you can start making real difference. Yeah, exactly. And, and like, we've got to be careful as well. Like I've been doing the work for five years and uh, I, was, I was in an area of passion. I see a lot of people now, especially like living in Bali, everyone's a health coach. Everyone's, uh, <laughs> everyone's, uh, running retreats now and this type of stuff and you know they're just chucking exuberant amounts of money out there and saying I'm worth five dollars now and I, I I really appreciate that um but I think there's a process to get to that point like mm. it's like set your value and then build up to that point and eventually Earn like, your you know, value. yeah but also give value that it's actually you know there's there's people like uh, some of the when I was in that like uh cycle with all these health professionals man I started like I, I remember a cardiologist charged me $500 for a 12 minute converse, uh, com like consultation. And, um, and all he did when I got there, he looked at my heart cause I was having these little palpitations cause, uh, like, you know, it's just chronic stress, man. My, like mm -hmm. my entire like endocrine, my like sympathetic autonomic nervous system was just completely out of kilter. And, uh, there's nothing physiologically, uh, or biologically wrong. It was just, my body was just like, ah, I didn't know what was up. Freaking out. And, uh, yeah, and he's, he kind of like, I went to this thing and he had a look at the ECG and all that type of stuff. And he's like, oh, you, you seem like a pretty he healthy, fit young dude and so on and so forth. Kept me waiting in the in the waiting room for an hour, by the way. And uh, came in and he goes, you seem like blah, blah, blah. Didn't ask me anything about me. Didn't ask me anything about my lifestyle, my history, anything like that. He goes, all right, this is what you've got to do. You've got to uh, take out salt out of your diet and you've got to... Um, you know, change like a couple other things, and like here, here's this uh, this blood pressure medication, and you're probably gonna have to be on this for the next five years of your life, and so on and so forth. And like, I kind of sat there, and I'm look, looking at this overweight dude who's a cardiologist, and uh, uh, like I respect, I respect him, and I respect him going to you doing a study. But I was like, I knew that that little belly that he had was also uh, the number one risk factor for you know, heart related uh, chronic preventable disease. And uh, plus everything else, right? So I just, I just kind of sat back and I was like, huh. And uh, in my, like, in my, like I just lost a lot of trust in the healthcare system mm -hmm. straight away. And I'd, I'd been losing trust over a long period of time because even as a, as a physio, I was looking after people and they were paying me to fix their, 
physical complaints and they still had the issues three or four years later and like a, a man in the mirror moment i was like dude i'm not helping anybody if these guys still ha- they're still looking for a solution or a problem they came to see me for four years ago i've just been passively disabling them from actually finding the solution like what i should have done is you know sat back and said shit i don't know man but let's figure it out together and then work within an allied team and and really figure it out the same thing that i did at the footy club the same thing we did with these elite athletes and i remember walking out of this uh, cardiologist room and uh, the lady at the front desk she's like hey, give me your um, private health care card and uh she's like okay that's going to be 500 dollars, and you'll get like 80 bucks back on your private health so i'm sitting there like 420 bucks you know this is a kid who's, who's already spent like 50 to 100 grand trying to buy his health back and this guy's told me to take salt out of my diet and give me some medication and uh, hasn't asked me anything about it. And like before this, like I'd gone completely plant-based, changed my lifestyle, you know, started meditating, like going into all the different 12 medicines. And, and by this stage, I was, I was pretty good, but I just wanted to make sure that nothing was wrong with my heart, you know, because it's mm-hmm. one of those organs that we, doesn't really regenerate that well. And, uh, and I, I, I looked at the lady and said, listen, I said, well, with due respect, um, I'm not paying for this. And then walked out. And... Uh, and sure enough, for the next three or six months, they were sending me letters and like trying to get debt collectors. And I wrote back this really beautiful email. And I remember this clear as day. And it was a turning point for me as a health professional because I sat back and I'm like, you know, there's 50% of the world that's living with chronic preventable disease, another 45% living in restriction. There's 5% that are actually living in a state of good health and well-being and working towards like longevity in these blue zones, right? That's, that's like one in 10 people. So... I sat there and I said, well, there's a system where, you know, in the USA, people are spending $3 trillion annually. In Australia, it's probably something similar. UK is probably something similar, similar, but the burden of this chronic disease is getting worse and people aren't actually living instead of good health and well-being. And I, I sat back and I was, like, I was like, man, we have a duty as health professionals and as a system to ensure that if people are, you know, they're spending their hard-earned money. And I reflected on, on my mum who spent five grand with chiropractors and all these osteos and physios when I was 18 trying to help me get on top of my stress fractures uh, without finding a solution. I said, if, if, if we are willing to take people's money, we better be damn sure that that single mama, that young kid is getting a solution to the problem. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, can you guarantee me that? And I knew that his solution wasn't right because I'd already taken salt and already done all that stuff. And I wasn't going to be on this synthetic medication for the next, you know, uh, five years of my life just because he recommended it. You know, I knew that wasn't right. And, uh, and I just said, listen, uh, uh, like with all due respect, um, I want to be a health professional going forward that uh, you are, yes, you pay, but if you don't get a solution, then I'm more than willing to give you your money back. I'm more than willing to, to work with you until we find a solution or find a connection and, and admit that I don't know. And uh, I think this is where that whole system has gone wrong is, is that it has become a business. And uh, yeah. we have forgot, we've forgot the individual, we've forgot the human. And, uh, and, and that just really inspires me to be a better person. And by saying no to that, it was, it was huge. And I implore everyone else out there, if you're not getting solutions, man, send that email because you'll change the whole system in an instant. You'll yeah. be that reflection for us. And we're like, holy crap, even in business, man, like I see so many people taking money from people <sighs> and they're in, a, they're in a worse financial situation in six to 12 months time. And uh, we all justify it by saying, oh, well, if they hadn't had that one self-realization or that one emotional change in their relationship, then you know, surely that's worth like $10,000. I'm like, I'm like, yeah, but they're in a worse position than what they were, you know? And, yeah. and at the same time, there are some really cool people out there getting solutions. So I want to implore that as well. But um, yeah, that was a big moment. And then sure enough, the debt collector stopped and uh, uh, the, that disappeared. And it was a big win for me. I was like, cool. 
I'm not paying for more problems anymore. Yeah, that's awesome. And I think you having the the balls to send that email is could could change how the patient's lives of every patient that comes into him after that. That one seed planted of him thinking, actually, I've gone into autopilot mode. I've turned into a capitalist. I'm just trying to, you know, how many how many patients can I get through the door as quickly as possible and write them a script and fuck them off and get mm. my 500 bucks? If that has one little spark of an idea in his mind that the next patient he sees that he actually asks them a question have you already taken salt out tell me about your lifestyle and Mm. and and that permanent ripple effect unless he's a complete narcissist asshole like it's gonna that that email is going to impact so many lives and and i think that that's our duties as not just as entrepreneurs but as humans to to question things and like mm. you, you need to pick your battles and how you do it. And this was a self-reflection for myself over yeah. this week, like pick, pick the battles, but be willing to, to help people find the, find the better path. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Find a solution, man. And like, and this is where I, like, I'm really inspired now because even through my own journey, like, uh, like I was, I was the same, I was the same guy. I was like a dude high on healthy ego and you know, I had, like all this knowledge and uh and i thought that i had all the answers and you know i was i was you know i'd worked i'd had some really cool wins with people and but the thing is they were internally driven to get better as well Mm. so it was like was it me was it actually just them and uh and i found that you know even in my own journey like earning my health back when i was at rock bottom the the first step was was uh was in nature and connection so it was like I had to be in a nourishing environment to actually be supported to make a change, to be inspired to make a change and someone to hold my hand to do it. So that's why I found the mind values and things like that and that sense of connection. And I had to remove myself from um, my friendship group at the time. And, and, uh, and I love them. I'm still friends with all the guys I grew up with, but you know, that was still in the mode of, um, you know, going out and partying on a Friday and Saturday and drinking and, and I couldn't do any more self-harm and, uh, you know, mind-altering substances and all that type of stuff. I was just, it was all suppressing emotions and feelings, which it was the exact same thing that my dad had done. And, like, I, I was unconsciously repeating his patterns of behavior. And, um, you know, I knew that I was five times more likely to, to be in this situation as well because I had a single mom and a dad from mm-hmm. that background. But that was, that, was, that, was, that was just the environment that I grew up in. It had nothing to do with genetics. And, um, and yeah, so then I like, I went to food and food was foundational medicine. I started fasting, going like plant-based whole foods, whole food supplements. And, uh, then I like, I started after that, once I had energy, I started getting on top of my digestive health, started moving more, this blend of like ancient wisdom and modern science. And I was like, they weren't in competition. It wasn't like alternative and complementary and like modern science. It was like foundational. And this was like everything kind of worked together, which became a foundation for the 12 medicines I talk about today. And there was like, and then from that point, it was, um, then I really invested in my mind and jumped into all these networks and did all the, all the meditative stuff and yoga became a big part of my life. I even did like a basic training on that. And I uh, got really curious about all these other modalities, ended up in Bali, bought bought the uh the elephant pants in Ubud and went and saw these healers and you know and like the getting on the plane was part of the healing process like the guy just telling me to be present and live in the now and and uh you know do what makes me happy it was the same thing my mum told me at 17 so it was like it wasn't even the person the person was just reflecting back all the stuff that I knew inside but I just needed I was ready to hear it you know in the mm-hmm. same way when I was burning out mum was like hey you're burning the wick at both ends for like five years and I didn't actually receive that message until I was laying in bed 
I was unhappy and I was unhealthy and I was disconnected. And I was like, shit, mm. I'm, you're, you're right. You know, and I, I hear you now, but I wish I had been open enough to hear you before that, to see those signals and symptoms. Um, and then like beyond that, I just started chasing a different lifestyle. I met a good friend and she connected me with a business opportunity, which is like a shared and circular economy. It was in network marketing. I was like, whoa, I was like, I never expected to go from a master's degree, working with elite athletes to partnering uh, with a health company that was in that space. But I kind of stepped back and I was like, I, I saw the vision of the people behind it. And I think this is a thing, whenever you're looking for business opportunities, always look at the vision mm. and always look at the people behind it and get to know their values and their vision because everything on the surface is noise. You know, like I saw a lot of people come into this network marketing industry and they came in for the money and it just showed me that, um, you know, they didn't really have a lot of care for health or the people they were serving, but they needed money, which showed me a massive issue in society that people had more financial stress than they did have health stress. And uh, people were looking for an opportunity to, to receive more energy that is money so they could pay their bills and you know work themselves out of these situations and have breathing space to spend with their family and all that type of stuff so it showed me this kind of like dual nature of our existence and it, it I, I kind of i was stuck going like is is this industry like bad or is it just that it tracks the best and the and the worst of humanity in the same place and it's mm-hmm. an equal opportunity that most people can do and and uh it actually became the thing that actually you know i stayed with these guys for about five or six years and it's it's I'm not here to plug them or anything. You can go check out who I partner with, but it's, uh, it, it actually created like a multiple six figure income, turned over seven figures within four or five years. And, uh, it, it was, it was a thing that freed my time and my location. So I started earning money whilst I was sleeping. I started having like two, three, four grand go in my bank account, 40,000 impact. And it taught me that it wasn't just about me helping everyone. It was like this community approach. It was how many people could we help together? How many, I wanted to be the guy that like introduced all my friends to intermittent fasting and plant-based like foods and Ayurveda and traditional Chinese medicine. I want to be that guy. Like I knew that that was going to be powerful um, because I knew that there were those people out there that were just peddling synthetic medication and stuff like that. And I knew that we could use that as a vehicle and a vessel to move people towards a more healthy lifestyle and connection back to nature and whole foods and, you know, uh, movement-based communities. And, and we started to do that. And, and during this process, I was able to, create uh, some, some time freedom and, um, and financial freedom to then self-fund my own big vision, which was um, building like the self-care revolution and writing that book. I spent three years doing that. I'm going to release that on my mom's birthday next year, March 28. Um, you know, build, a, build all the I'm, infrastructure. I'm writing that date down, Rory, because we've talked about this date before, 30th birthday. Um. <laughs> Amazing, right? <laughs> but, the, but this is the thing I really sat with with this is like I created the time freedom and the financial freedom to be able to do this in the right way. And actually, I, I shared something on Instagram today that, you know, the publisher I'm working with, she's a freaking beautiful soul. And uh, she goes, I want to hear your real story. And uh, I shared that with her and she wrote back. She goes, man, I'm, I'm in tears. Like I'm actually, I'm crying. And I'm like, cool, that, that's, it, that's it. That's yeah. it. Like that's, that's the reason why I've been holding space for this. And like all these people like, you know, put it out there, do this. You've got to be an author, you've got to be a book. And I was like, I don't care for that. I'm not writing it for that reason. I want to write it so that it, it makes people feel something, feel something different. Mm-hmm. I don't want it to be part of the self-help, self-help board. I want it to be yeah. something that as a framework and people can plug into and they read it when they're 16, they read it when they're 60 and it has completely different meaning because it's got new experiences and new context, but it's kind of the same collective consciousness and curated consciousness. And, and uh, yeah, and that was, and that's like really powerful because to be able to do that and, uh, and to be able to 
create and have that breathing space to create and, and live in Bali and, you know, take the mornings off to surf and to contribute and give back is, is something that I, I hope for everyone in their own way. And um, I just want people to know that there's, uh, there's pathways out there and just, it's not a quick fix. It's, you know, I've had so many times where the last five or six years that there's been shiny objects and there's all these gurus that come in and all these people are like, you know, they have an emotional story about how you can make money fast and they hit you with those emotional pain points when you're in that emotion. And uh, luckily I had a lot of mentors along the way that taught me to like sit back and just like really feel into and look at the visions, look at the values, the mm. Martini stuff, the, the vision board. And I'm like, is that, are they heading, heading the same true north as me? Are they heading towards sustainable development goals? Are they heading towards a we, not me approach? Are they heading towards building like blue zone communities and self-care and uh, empowering people rather than like promoting passive, passive care? And, uh, and once I started like really, you know, honing in on that internal compass, I said no to $250,000 deals. I said, uh, I stopped, I stopped investing in people that weren't aligned with that. And, and all of a sudden it just kind of, catapulted me in this right direction to be in a, in a space now where, you know, I still have my moments. Like I still doubt myself. I still feel pain and pleasure every single week, every single day, but it's, uh, it's, it's all part of growth and it's, and it's beautiful. And it's, uh, it's, it's something that I've learned to really surrender to and accept that change is a part of life. And, you know, I just want to, I just want to share that with people like just, just really feed into that and, um, so and like find the, find the flow, right? So tell me, during this journey, since making the move to Bali to building this amazing tribe over the last five to six years, what's the biggest fuck-up you've made when it comes to business? Biggest, biggest fuck-up, I think um, self-sabotage, man. It was a big one. Like I had an opportunity to max out uh, this business when I won this networked enterprise when I was probably... 27, 28, which meant that it would have turned over like 1.2 million per year, probably would have impacted another 50,000 people. And, and, um, yeah, like fear, fear of being judged, fear of, um, it's just self-worth. Like I wasn't ready to lead, you know, I was kind of hiding behind, you know, like I wanted to be like the Oprah Winfrey that shines a lot on others. I didn't want to be seen. I didn't want to be heard, but, uh, but what I found is like when I didn't step up and when I didn't share my story, other people shared it for me and it wasn't, it wasn't me. It wasn't my congruent mm. self. And, uh, and it just learned, it taught me to, to be, to be brave and to be courageous and to be vulnerable and honest enough to, to just, to, to share all of me and to, and, and from that space, then it's like, then people will follow. Then, then we can really serve. But I think the, so many people out there and correct me if I'm wrong, if I'm wrong, but I've lost trust in the healthcare system. I've lost trust in the business system. So what I'm looking for now is like, I'm looking for people that I can trust and I'm looking for people that can provide solutions and, and connect and be part of tribes and, and create these nourishing environments where, you know, we all become healthy and abundant, you know, and we all start living in these, in these like little blue zone communities and that's Dan Butner's work. And it's just, it's, you look at, look at the, the key principles behind those communities and they all live over the age of 85. There's no chronic preventable disease. Like it's all shared resources. It's all helping each other. It's, uh, it's, 
you know, it's, they've just got a different value set. Like food is like foundational. Nature is foundational. Every, there's like human nature and like the spiritual connection in, in everything they do. And it shows up in the way they treat the animals. It shows up in the way that they treat each other. It shows up in the way that they ban plastic and, and like yeah. the conscious business decisions they make. And what it creates is, is, is a win for all, not just a win for some. And so now like I just, I just tune into that. And I want to be a, I want to be a channel for that. I want to be a point of connection for people for that. What do you think is a couple of tips that you could give someone that's that's struggling with that self doubt, that concern about what other people think, those things that were holding you back and that cost you scaling as quickly? What could you? What advice could you give to someone else in that situation? Yeah, good question. Um, if I really reflect on the, on the biggest shift and change, it was a couple of key mentors in my life. And uh, now I paid $15,000 to a mentor that went on a two-month trip to South America and had a class action against him in like six months later, you know. He was happy to take my money but didn't serve me. And then I, had a, I got a guy that I work with now, Paul Dunn, and um, he's one of many mentors um, that I've had along the way. But you know, he's, he shows me, he shows me where to look, but not what to see. And, uh, I just call him when I'm like in those moments and, mm-hmm. uh, he's someone that I have trust with because of what he does, what he stands for and, and, yeah. uh, and who he surrounds himself human. with. Yeah. Business for good. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, and he, it's funny because he always has a conversation with me and he'll ask questions. He won't tell me what to do. And then he'll connect me with the solution. Every every solution he's connected me with has has worked out. Like even the publisher I talked about, that was his connection. Uh, the person that you know connected me with someone to do this, that was him. Like you know, it's just like having that type of mentor in your life will just guide you. And uh, you're not looking for people that tell you what to do. You're looking the smartest people in the room are the ones that listen, the ones that walk their talk. And they're people that you're willing to change positions with and, and walk in their shoes. And they've got a, a similar value set, a similar internal compass, a similar true north. And, uh, you know, there's a deep sense of trust and honesty and vulnerability they have uh, from the get-go. And it's transparency, I think. And that would be number one is, is, is that. And then number two is take ownership and, and master your own, like, morning rituals. And, like, that's the 95% you can control. The mentor just uh, shines a light on, on what's kind of like the next step for you. Yeah, beautiful. I think morning rituals is something that I've found very, very common across all of my super successful friends. And when I say successful, that doesn't mean in terms of they've got huge amounts of money or like big businesses or anything. What I see as successful is that they're living congruently and and happy. Obviously, everyone has their moments, but they're they, they get up inspired every day and they've got their health or they're, they're clawing it back. Um, what is a couple of the, your core morning rituals, Roy? Cause I know that you're, you're, I know firsthand how protective you are over this because it's cost me my morning rituals when I've given up my power to you. <laughs> yeah. facilitating and you gave me a really good lesson on that. So just walk us through yeah. a couple of things you do. Yeah, well, like, you know, there's like the 5 a.m. clubs and all that type of stuff, we've, which we've talked about before. But I'm like, you've got to find what works for you in the context of your environment. Like, we all have 168 hours a week. You, me, Donald, Donald Trump, Oprah Winfrey. We all like, have whoever, the same hours in the day as Beyonce. Yeah. Yeah. Whoever, you, whoever you're inspired by, whoever, like, inspires you to be, to be that best version of yourself, just know they've got the same amount of hours. So then it's like, what do we do with our time? And time is a relative concept. We all know that we can, like, slow it down and speed it up. We speed it up when we're doing mindless activities. 
kept him, you know, in that 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 hamster wheel and that rat race. Mm. Um, and we know that we can slow it down when we're present and we're breathing and we're meditating and like we're having like deep connections with people and doing something we love. You know, I know when I'm like, I've been entrenched in this book, like other times where it's like, it's almost like time, time stops, stops still. And it's like, everything becomes so clear. And I'm like, those little bliss moments, are the things I chase and the rituals that support me is like, I, um, I don't generally work before 12 o'clock. Now this to me isn't work doing a podcast with you is, uh, this is, this is just, this, this is my lifestyle. This is what I love doing. So, um, but yeah, before 12, I don't work. The first thing I do when I get up is movement. So I want to move. I want to get like my blood flowing. And at the moment I'm training for half marathon, uh, for the Bali hope ultra in December. And, uh, so that's my thing. I've got something to work towards. Right. So, um, that gets me like growing. Um, and then after I finish that, I do 10 questions. So I, I flip into mind. So movement, then mind. And, uh, I've got 10 questions to self. They're things I picked up from Roger Hamilton, from Vishen Lakhiani and all these successful entrepreneurs. It's just this introspection of like, why did you get up this morning, Ross? Um, what are you committed to today? What's the, what's your intention? Um, how can you serve like these type of things? And, um, every day the answers are, are different and similar and I really feel into it. Um, and then I do, uh, whilst I'm sort of coming back from like a surf or the gym, whatever I've done for movement that morning, then, uh, then I've got an app called Blinkist and I listen to a 20 minute blink. So if I've got a, a challenge, uh, at the moment, so say yesterday was about storytelling. So I went on Blinkist, and I had a look at people that have done uh, any books on storytelling and there was a really good one uh, called the science of storytelling. And that was the thing that enabled me to send that thing to my publisher Nat and really refine my story. So I used that 20 minutes to learn but then to do. So I only want to make sure that I'm learning, I'm learning something so that I can apply it in that moment. Uh, and then when I get home, I food, so I make a little smoothie bowl, like plant-based. Um, and then that's kind of like my get up and go. Obviously, I've got a bit of water and stuff in there. Um, and I'm hydrating whilst I'm at, at the gym. I'm hydrating after I surf. Um, and they're kind of the main things. And then I guess from there, it's, um, it's checking in with my day and like looking where my time's been allocated. And then I spend usually a bit of time with my partner. We'll, you know, take the dog for a walk down the beach and like we'll connect on a deeper level and make sure that we're getting that, that connection. And then, you know, by 11 or 12 o'clock, I'm kind of ramping up into my work, work time, which is, which is scheduled. I use schedule links for, 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 the, um, for my time. People can't just like willy-nilly call me. And uh, some people get pissed off at that. And they're like, oh, you're sending me a schedule link. Obviously, friends and family, I chat whenever. I chat in like, you know, in the, in the morning or in the afternoon. Um, but anything that's work-related or service-related, I'm like, I, I really value my time with that. And, uh, and I'll kind of work from 12 to 6, sometimes even a little bit later if I've got workshops and events. Um, and you know, last week, I, I ran a retreat for two weeks. I worked for two weeks straight, but I still kept these rituals in the morning. Um, and, and, yeah, and that's kind of it, really. And then, you know, obviously... Keep, uh, keep up like with food and saturation and stuff over the day. I try not to sit for too long. Um, if I have anything come up, I'm, I'm open to ask for support. I'm open to, to connecting with my community and um, always willing to give, like, uh, but also willing to receive. And they're like little rituals, I think, that I'm learning to, to, to allow people to give to me in the same way that I get pleasure out of giving to them. And, uh, and, that's, and all I do is I trust that that creates, you know, that these rituals tune into those 12 universal laws. You know, we all know the law of attraction and, and it just seems to be working, you know, it creates abundance in my life. And, and, uh, and when it isn't, I come back to the rituals. Like whenever I'm having a crappy day, I realize I probably haven't been doing that for like two or three days and something's kicked me out of into disharmony. So I just wake up I, the night before I go to bed. I, I just plan it out. And I'm like, tomorrow I start with my rituals again. And then 
off she goes and get seven days in a row and I'm back on track. Easy as that. I want to circle back for a second when you had that realization that for nearly five years you hadn't been on a surf trip and Mm. what, what did that mean to you? What was the realization and how has surfing actually impacted you getting your health back and, and been (laughs) surfing as medicine? Yeah, surfing is medicine. It's, uh, for me, it's like, um, it's meditative. It's a connection to nature. It's movement based. Um, it gets me up early. Um, yeah, it connects me with friends. It connects me with community. It connects me with people. Uh, it gets me traveling. It moves me outside of my comfort zone. Uh, it tests my fear and my courage. Like when I go to new surf breaks and it's like, it's going six, eight, eight foot plus and slow tide. And yeah, it just, it just kind of, it's, it's a little bit of an adrenaline rush, but, uh, you know, every time I travel, it's, it's always, it's always been a positive experience and I've had two breakups in my life. And, um, at the end of, you know, when I, when I broke down at 26, you know, my partner and I, we kind of like went on different paths and I think I had to, um, she was a beautiful soul. Uh, but we were just growing, growing in different directions. And, and, uh, and I just remember the first thing I did is I went on a surf trip mm-hmm. as well after that. And I just, I did that thing that I hadn't done for five years, you know, and, uh, that, that kind of opened, it just reminded me of what made me happy, um, mm-hmm. which is travel and connection and all that type of stuff. And I was like, and all of a sudden I started chasing a different lifestyle. And then I met a, a beautiful girl and I moved to the Southwest in, uh, in Albany and I was down there for three and a half years. And I thought that was the thing that I wanted because I wanted to be like, you know, in nature and, and that, but I became very isolating down there and it became very like lonely. Um, so then I was like disconnected, but I was connected with nature. So I found all these elements and same thing when we broke up, uh, again, we just grew in different ways. Another beautiful soul. Um, but just, we went right for each other. We're right for that part of the journey, but you know, we either grow together, we grew apart and we chose to grow apart. And, uh, I just remember looking at my vision board and I hadn't been to the mental wise yet. I ticked off these other five places and the mental wise are still there. This is the same vision board, um, from, you know, four, three or four years ago. And, uh, I just, where did you go in the mental wise? Uh, I, I literally just booked a trip, went to Sumatra, landed in Padang, got on a boat and, uh, went, went to Lance's right. Oh, yes. HT, yep. HTs. And, uh, and yeah, I met this dude on the way there, Crowy, who's now my next door neighbor. And, um, and it was like through that synchronous decision, like in that moment of like feeling average and like feeling pretty low vibration, I was like vision. And I was like, I just, I was courageous enough to book the ticket. I had all the excuses in the world not to do it. Family saying, I should probably stay with us, blah, blah, blah. But I booked, booked a ticket. And then, um, and I had an amazing two weeks, like surface pumping. And then Crow's a guy that actually hooked me up with his villa. And he just synchronously, he's made it move down. He goes, hey man, like, uh, do you want to check this out? And I'd already been kind of transitioning to this anyway. And I walked into this villa and I was like this deja vu moment. It was like, it was like, honestly, I felt like, uh, I don't know. It's just, it's like I'd been here like a hundred times before. I don't know if anyone's ever felt that, but and I, I didn't know what it was, but I was like straight away, I was like, yes, 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 man, I'm, I'm going to stay. And, uh, you know, I'm still here two years later, but when I went home to pack all my gear and kind of come move over to, to Bali, I just remember I was packing up and I had the vision board there and I like, I ticked off the surf trip and the mints. And then in the bottom right hand corner was this picture of this villa in Bali and I'd put it there like three or four years ago. And I'm like, it was the exact freaking photo that I saw when I walked into, into this place. So, um, you know what I mean? Like just, if you're out there, 
people just like, man, if you, have, if you take one thing away from this, just like cast a really inspiring future vision. Uh, take, off, take off like any social and mental constructs of what you think is possible and uh, like sit in the end feeling of what it would feel like to actually be sitting there and, and every 12 months just review and renew, review and renew. And if you get really inspired, a buddy of mine, Joel Brown, talks about like 10-year visions and seven-year visions, like every seven years of our life is a cycle, right? Um, we know this through all these, you know, whether it's biologically, spiritually, culturally. Mm. So it's like you can even paint a seven-year vision like I did and, you know, holy moly, like what unfolds in that time is it's, it seems – luck like luck uh but you're synchronously like unconsciously subconsciously working towards that and like even with all the highs and the lows and the breakups and the failures and the successes and the emotional moments and you know even being someone who promotes self-care but going having too many beers and falling into mind altering substances and all that type of stuff it's all part of the journey you know and it's like i'm just learning to really learn from each of those moments so yeah i hope that helps jade yeah, it sure does. Uh, what's really funny is I had the mints on my vision board or on my goals list as well. And this podcast, the idea of this particular podcast was born on the flight from Padang back to Jakarta before heading back to Bali. And I've been wanting to do a podcast for so long and I've talked about it and I've talked about it and I had all these different oh. ideas of what it was. And then it was just this download about what do I love most? Like mm. what, what, changed my life and the reason why I ended up in Bali and ended up at iLab in the first place was I went to Dan and Monica's wedding and then I booked a surf trip I booked a surf camp to relearn to surf because I hadn't surfed for 17 years because I got so wound up in building these ego-based fucking businesses yeah and when I did the question of and this Jack Losa asked me to read Oprah is what I know for sure and I Mm. was like what do I know for sure what actually brings me joy and I was like surfing mm. and being in the water. And then I was like, oh my God, I haven't been doing, like I've surfed like 10 times in the last 17 years. And that was the biggest catalyst for change. And then by opening that up, someone introduced me to Matt Byway, who then's like, you need to come do this iLab thing led to you. Mm. And it's, it's that one choice, that decision and, and the linking back. So I think that's a, that's a really cool circle. Um, while we're on the surfing topic, so you've just got back from Sri Lanka, right? Yeah, we went went over there um, again. I kind of like finished the book for the third time, <laughs> and uh, and my partner Lo, who's is here at the moment, she was like, she was like, we're go- we're going to Sri Lanka, and I was like, oh, I don't really feel like it. I'd been before. I learned how to kite surf there and stuff, and uh, but she was really excited, and I was like, all right, let's do it. One of those moments, you know, like yeah. let's, whatever, let's let's go. And just went longboarding, you know, down through Marissa, up through like Panama and um, up to Aragon Bay. And yeah, it was epic. Beautiful trip, beautiful country. I need the details because that's the next surf spot that's on my list I want to do. So out of all the places, I have Sri Lanka <laughs> as, yeah. as the next one I want to go to. Um, so I'm really, really interested in that. Uh, I see uh, your, your quiver up there. Walk us through some of the boards you've got. What's your favorite and why? Uh, the bottom one here is the little Takayama longboard, which is I've snapped twice, but it's one of my favorite favorite little boards. Then there's the, pick, <laughs> the, the pickle Rick board. That's uh, my partner Lo did a bit of art on that. She's like, I want to draw something on a pickle Rick. Was <laughs> Rick and Morty was my thing. The one above that's the Simon Anderson board. I snapped that at Karama's last week. I was um, going to say I like, thought I saw a snapped board. I don't like epoxies, guys. Um, that's not my thing. I don't know who invented that, but 
Let's go back <laughs> back to the old school, more durable boards. Then I got a Jeff Alexander board. That's a really cool one. And then on top of that, I got a little chili board, uh, which has been kind of fun, just supporting a couple of the local guys here in Bali. And that's a that's a really nice board. Epic, epic. And where's where is your favorite surf break? I love Karamas, man. I like. I think it's just. A, I know it's getting busy and stuff now, but it's just such a cool wave. Um, I love. I love HTs. I love that big right. Um, love deserts. Like I've actually been enjoying that on my back end. I was. I was such a kook the first time I, I went there, and, <laughs> but it's such an epic wave. Um, and yeah, I'm just keen to explore more. I want to. I just want to travel and go to Fiji and I watch that um, that momentum movie that's out with all like the american boys like kelly slater and and all that and and like i just want to build that tribe that i kind of like surf and travel with and we've got conscious businesses we can free our time and location and i want to like i just want to teach other people how to do it in their own way and um and just be mindful of like my own conscious biases but really tap into people's passions and purposes and then just go live life like the whole point of this thing is to live our ideal lifestyles and to help other people do that along the way right so that's that's kind of my goal in life and if we can find some happiness and bliss moments and you know and find some connection and people to share the journey with then that's a bonus and if we don't have any don't have any collateral damage on the world around us or the people then that's that's an even bigger bonus right yeah i love um talking on the collateral damage i love what vision says so vision like yanni from mind valley he says we don't have to save the world just don't fuck it up for the rest of them right so mm. we and some like in our community, especially in Valley, there's a lot of the people thinking comparison syndrome. I need to be as good as this. I need to do that. I need to start the movement that changes the world. Yeah. Um, and I really, I really love the energy that you come from in terms of, and this is me reading into your energy or what I take out of it. It is that we don't have to, you know, we don't have to completely change the world, but we can start these ripple effects, but really it's about you living the life that's most congruent with this, the experience your soul wants to have here and no judgment on whether that's just doing what you do to, to have the lifestyle and live the life or if it is to, to make the change and to, to, to lead a tribe and to impact humanity. And I like that you come from that, that space of non-judgment and I think that that's what I see you when you are coaching businesses as well. You're really, you're not trying to push them into what you think they should do and it's more about tapping into who they are and, and what's actually going to serve their happiness. And I, I think that's a really rare thing in, in, in business consultants, coaches and facilitators. And I, I just want to um, say thank you for, for being like that. Um, yeah, I feel that. Thank you so much. When it comes to say guiding businesses and, and creating these lifestyles, could you give a couple of tips that you think people could do um, more on a strategy side of things to start freeing up their time or to be able to uh, build a business that serves them rather than serving the business? Gotcha. Uh, yeah. So the first thing would be is like uh, you made a really cool comment about like um, before trying to save the world, like save yourself, you know, like not in a selfish way. The, the concept of self is an illusion, right? But um, everything's connected to everything. Let's, let's get that clear. Um, but what I do, I, or whatever you do, we indirectly do to each other. So my goal is, uh, is to help people be the best version of themselves. Number one. So this concept of me, but, That's, that's how we like promote self-care. That's how we, um, 
fill our own cup. That's how we learn to serve from overflow is, is surrounding yourself with like two really important people that you can confide in. Hopefully one might be a mentor as well. And then make sure that the five people that you spend the most time with are in a higher vibration and they're kind of working towards the type of lifestyle and the type of person that you hope to be. And also um, it's okay to be like the dumbest person in the room like Jack DeLosa talks about and everyone else talks about. It's like be, be in a circle that inspires you to be a better person. Spend a lot of time with that. So that's number one. And then uh, from a self point of view is, yeah, master the 95% that is within your control. Epigenetics shows us that we are not a victim to our genes and uh, we can be the driver, not the passenger to our own human existence and our human potential. Like we've got, you can think of anyone, like just think of the Paralympians, you guys with no arms, no legs, swim 50 meters in a pool. Like the potential in your genes is endless. It's just the willpower and the environment, the support to really get there. Um, and people just like you and me have created businesses that have consciously impacted the world in ways that, you know, we'll never really know and, and they're creating a living legacy and their name will perpetuate throughout time like the people that we talk about now, right? So that would be number one is this mastery of self but that comes from we, not me and being inspiring tribes and communities and then when you get to a point where you master that 95% and you start to serve from overflow every day, create a ripple effect and make sure that before you try to save the world, you make sure your front doorstep is, is clean. And uh, that, that means like serving your proximity, start local, like impact, impact your family, impact your friends, impact like your local community. Uh, and if we all did just that, we would create a ripple effect that would change the world. That's sacred yeah. geometry. That's all the stuff hidden in plain sight, right? If everybody just did that, then we'd create a change. And then beyond that, it's like if you can make a change in your community, then you can start to create systems and uh, maybe uh, networks and, and like help other people help their communities and empower other people to do the same. Then we start to, to create like a, like a national change, then a global change. And it's like that... Um, that thing with uh, Piers uh, Sellers, who is that uh, NASA astronaut who's kind of like looking down at, at, the, at the Earth um, before he passed away from pancreatic cancer and like the Amazon's like traveling between his feet. Mm. He sits here and he goes, you know what, guys? Like I don't see any borders. I don't see any disconnection. I see like I see human and I see nature. And he looks up at the stars and he's like this expansive universe. He's like it's, that's all there is. Everything is connected to everything. And we've created these mental constructs that create disconnection. So whatever you do in life, just promote connection with yourself and with the world, the natural world around you and the people um, that are in it. And, and just be that shining light that, um, you know, just, just makes more conscious decisions and like work with businesses that are doing things right for your family and my family and the natural world we live in work with people that are doing that as well and uh, say no to that people that aren't. And guess what? It's like, even if they've got a lot of money on the table and you say no to them, guess what? It's going to help them shift and change and, and diversify as well. And then I, I guess that's where we can, we can really, really take ownership of this. And I guess one business tip for anybody that's out there, I think this is really applicable. It's a thing that I, I use with everyone is I draw a little square and you get like four squares I put 168 hours on the top. In the bottom uh, corner, you've got average seven hours a night. So 49 hours you spend on sleep. The other 49 hours you spend on like lifestyle, self-care, rituals, eating, showering, connecting, all that type of stuff. So all of a sudden, half your time is gone, which leaves two squares. And this square down here, I, I use for like cash flow. This is a thing. This is the, the opportunity that's going to pay your bills, pay your rent. Like living in Bali, I can live on 500 bucks a week. Living back in Australia, I probably need like 1,500 bucks a week. So you've got to figure out the cash flow relative to the context of your environment to cover your seven basic human needs, which is like food, water, shelter, et cetera, et cetera, right? And obviously not be in debt. Get to a point of positive cash flow because once you've got positive cash flow and no personal debt, now you've got breathing space. You're not in scarcity anymore. 
Now we can start looking at, at filling this other block and we go, well, what do we do here that can generate uh, more energy, create more impact? And remember, impact equals income. The more people you serve and help solve problems for, and as long as you put a value to that or you've got a, a value system, then and you can generate money, networks, connections, and that's where you start to create abundance, right? Mm -hmm. So you've got cash flow, and this top one is that opportunity. So my first one was like it was a network marketing, it was a shared and circular economy. All of a sudden, that started making like a thousand, two thousand, three thousand dollars a week in five hours of time. That left me like eighty to ninety hours to now put into my passion and my purpose, write the book, build the platform, go coach, go learn more, go facilitate the entrepreneurial resorts, and now I'm I'm looking at at ways that this. Can, this is, hasn't even been monetized yet, but this has been covering, covering my, my backside for the last like three, four, five years so that I could focus on this and build this with the right vision without having it, you know, affected by other people. Mm. And now it's like, how do I, you know, create this thing and, and create a network that other people can generate cash flow off and energy and, and have an impact with. So that would be the, the key thing. Sleep, yeah, self-care, lifestyle, cash flow, and then an, one opportunity or side hustle that can help yeah. free your time and your location and get you a bit closer to that ideal lifestyle and obviously surfing more. Yeah. Awesome. One of the key things that I really love about the iLab program that we do facilitate is understanding that cash flow issue and our own personal money. This is the, this is where I had the biggest resistance with you, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and I want to link that also to the sum of the five people, which you talked about and how yeah. you realized way back that you needed to change your circle because it doesn't mean you have to, to not have them as friends anymore, but you need to elevate because we talk about on the wealth spectrum, infrared or red level people where we're spending more money than, than what we're earning or we're just getting, getting by. We haven't got that cash flow sorted. So you're coming from a place of scarcity. And the thing is, if we surrounded ourselves and all of the other people in our circle are like that, then you're not going to be able to jump. And you need to start seeking the people that have transitioned and transitioned that mindset, especially I find in Australia because of tall poppy syndrome. If you're in that circle and you start talking about how you've, you've got the abundance, people, they want to naysay and they want, it, they want to drag you down or they, they cause doubt in your mind or you might start shying away. So thinking about who you're surrounding yourself with. Um, but I just want to come back to, um, to the teachings that we do in, in iLab there, Rory. Like what a, a couple of the key strategies for, for people to, to move from that scarcity feeling and mindset and start building more cash flow. Yeah, the, the, like if we go to that cash flow quadrant, um, you know, go look at Robert Kiyosaki's stuff. He's got, he's, he's got a simple concept. There's a million different things out there for that. But, um, uh, but I think the main thing would be like just be really mindful who you're taking advice from. Um, you know, I think there's a guy in Australia, the barefoot investor, he's good. Like he helps you just get the little systems and strategies. Like rather than me saying, hey, this is what you do, I want to connect you with people like him and just have a look at his strategies. Mm -hmm. He knows the right banks to go with that don't charge you exuberant amounts. He knows all the conscious enterprises in that financial space. He's got some strategies to master your personal cash flow. If you can't master your personal cash flow and live in, in, um, in positive cash flow, then you have zero chance of creating a business that isn't a hobby or something that, will still be there in 10 years time because we all know the stats and 95% of these businesses aren't there in five years time or 10 years time. Sorry. So it's like, you don't want to be one of those statistics. And it's a reason why a lot of people only work with certain businesses after they've been there for 10 years. And if you have got to that point, congratulations. Um, but you've also got to ask, uh, have you been doing it in scarcity or have you been doing it, uh, the freedom of time? So that, 
that strategy would be mastering your, uh, your personal cash flow. Um, find, find what you can do at the highest value in the shortest amount of time. That'll cover your basic living costs. Um, might be $500,000 a week. You can do that in 20 hours, 30 hours, whatever. Like my partner, Lo, she, she moved over to Bali. She teaches online. And that makes her 500 bucks a week. That gives her 60 hours, um, 60 hours a week to then work on her art, which is her passion, her purpose, the reason she gets out of bed in the morning. And she inspires other young girls to, to do that as well. So, but she's not too like, egocentric to be like, oh, I'm not going to teach um, online to young Chinese kids um, and teach them English. She's like, no, I'm happy to do that. And obviously... As she's doing that, she's getting other opportunities. She's like got opportunities now. In two hours, she can earn $500. So now she just replaces that. And then all of a sudden, she's got like 88 hours left, right? So, but the point is, is like, you know, get your personal finances sorted. Like listen to Barefoot Investor. You know, go to your bank. Talk to one of those, talk to one of your friends in your like local network who's like living in a higher vibration, living in abundance. They, they have the strategies for you. Like you can go to chat with them tomorrow and be like, hey, listen, like I've kind of been ignoring and you know, I had this issue with money, but I, I can see that you've got a lot of energy and flow and breathing space. I like I, I listen to the guys who are like sitting down here in a, in a cafe on a Wednesday morning and they've just been surfing for four, four hours. I'm like, I'm like, what do you know that everyone else doesn't? <laughs> you know, and I'm like, I'm like, first question, I'm like, did you just like fall into a lot of money and like just get left it by parents or whatever? And they're like, no, nope. I'm like, all right, cool, man. Let's chat. Like how did, how did you free your time and location to surf on a Wednesday morning for six hours? And I started listening to those people mm-hmm. and I started asking those people really cool questions and man, they had some freaking awesome answers about, you know, about all that stuff. And, uh, but yeah, I, I only had the breathing space to like really have those conversations with those people once I got my personal finances sorted, yep. once I found a way to cover my cash flow and then once I was out of debt and then I had the breathing space to, to do that. And, and do you know what? Like it took you, what, 12 months to get out of that space. It took me maybe two years to get out of that space. Yeah. So there might be a period of work in front of you and, and like you're going to get so many freaking shiny objects and quick fixes and money making things and blah, blah, blah. But it's like if you're still operating from scarcity as you're trying to do that, you're just going to self-sabotage yourself anyway. So make sure that whatever you do, you do it and uh, you do it in alignment and make sure that you're working with people that are going to help you towards the next step when you build your own brand and your own you freelance, you consult, you coach, do whatever you want to do and you start partnering with other organizations that are heading in the same true north as you. And I think that's when uh, this all becomes pretty easy, to be honest. Yeah. I think that's the number one thing that I've taken out from, from iLabs and now looking at businesses and seeing where the dramas are, it's not fixing the, the personal cash flow at home because of the energy, the energy that comes and permeates every business decision that you have. So even if the business is running and, and we've, we've worked with companies that or companies that have multiple uh, owners and if there's someone in there that's at red level, even if the company is cash flow positive and making money, that the mindset and the energy comes into the business. It comes into how you negotiate, how you behave, the the, the fear as well. And and that is something that can't be severed because like you said before, Rory, money is energy. And it and it's yeah. attached. Hundred percent. Every thought is a chemical reaction. There's energy as well. And like you know, Nikola Tesla, think in terms of energy, vibration, frequency. You hear me talk about this a lot. And he's just tuning into something else. Tuning in, right? Tuning into something else. And you'll be tuning into scarcity. You'll be listening to all the people that say it's not possible. You'll be listening to all the people that say that it can't be done. You'll be listening to all the people that you know are still living in that scarcity. They've got their mortgage. They've got their debt. They don't own their house. The average Australian is two hundred sixty thousand dollars of debt. Like the average family. So that's the ninety percent of people that you're generally listening to. 
I want to listen to the ten percent. I want to know what they know. I want to know. I want to know what type of thoughts and vibrations and frequencies they're running with. Mm-hmm. And and the thing is, is like once you surround yourself with that, it's like and there's those people you see them and like they probably trigger you on social media, you're like pissed <laughs> off at them because like they're too positive or they're too giving or they're like I don't know. It almost seems like self righteous and narcissistic, but maybe they're actually just got a good heart and a good intention, you know. And we've been taught not to trust the world and yeah. and uh, I'd go in with some open skepticism and start talking to those people and just listen to their energy and if you're in you're in this like low vibration of like blame victimized and shared shared economies and love uh and the circulation and it's like forgiveness and acceptance and surrender then it's like they're the people you want to spend the most time with and i think if you literally just did that and had a future vision over the next five years you'd figure out the rest yeah, that's amazing. Um, and I think that if people just really sit with that and think, just reflect on where, where those things are coming up in their lives and be really honest. And, and as you were saying that about the, the triggering on social media, I'm like, oh, there's, there's one person that really, yeah. triggered. it's just this one. And I'm like, I just get really frustrated. I'm like, okay, what, what can that teach me? What's that saying? What's, where's the mirror in that? And mm. being conscious about um, paying attention and journaling on that. So that's, that's epic. And I'm conscious that, um, we've, we've covered a lot of ground here, Rory, and I want to make sure that we're giving some, some core takeaways for people as well on top of all of it. So tell me what is like one book podcast or resource that you recommend the most to people that are, you know, they're already got their businesses going. So they're not at startup stage. They're, they're, they're stuck. Where, what's something that you would point them towards? Man, good question. Good question. It's uh, like the, the, the thing that like popped to my mind initially was kind of like, you know, the four hour work week and think and grow rich by Napoleon Hill and all that stuff. But I don't think that's it. I think a lot of people have tuned into that, but even then when you read it, you're not really ready to receive the message. It's, it's uh it's just more noise and it's more knowledge, right? Mm-hmm. So I think um, something that's a bit more heart-centered. Um, I like the Four Agreements um, mm. by Don Miguel Ruiz, but that's a, a kind of like a real foundation-level book, which I, I hope that most people who are running a conscious enterprise have already read. Um, what else? What else? What else? I love Brene, ba- Brene Brown's uh, books on like Daring Greatly and things like that. <laughs> I just I offered she- to lend that to one of the girls downstairs just before this call. <laughs> Yeah, she's tuning into something that is very heart-centric. And I think that's what's missing in the business world right now. And Paul Dunn's book, uh, Business for Good, uh, I think that's where the world is going. And I think if you don't have a heart-centered, passionate business that's having a positive impact in the world, then I think you're going to find that whatever your product or service is in five or ten years' time, if it's not, if it's not part of the solution, it's going to be part of the problem. And, and as millennials, uh, we're 84% of our money uh, that we earn is going towards businesses like that, businesses that do good in the world because we're conscious and aware of that. We, we can't unsee it. And, uh, and at the same time, uh, we're, more, we're willing to work with those enterprises and even take a pay cut because we believe in what they believe in. So mm-hmm. if, if businesses out there really get that, then, um, yeah, that will be a massive shift in the world. Yeah, amazing. And what about a piece of technology or resource that you use to run your business and your enterprise that you couldn't do without? Well, Zoom is a big one. Um, 
I've got a love hate relationship with social media, but Facebook groups are pretty fun. It's just got to like, you just got to make sure you're giving a lot of value. I love uh, an app called Blinkist. That's probably like something yeah. that I've been recommending to everyone at the moment because it's just got all those books you can tune in. Dr. So Dre, head, Dr. Dre headphones. I love <laughs> canceling out the noise of the world and just getting honed in. Um, yeah, you know, iPhones, MacBooks, like all those things, all the things that like allow me to work from anywhere in the world. I think they're the kind of cool things. Beautiful. And what's, I know you listen to podcasts and that as well. What is one of the key podcasts that you listen to regularly? Listen to regularly. I've actually, um, in all honesty, I went through a massive download phase for about four years before I wrote the book. And once I got in flow with that, I, I didn't want to tune into the noise anymore. So I kind of stepped out and stopped listening to podcasts because I'd, I'd be up till like 5am listening to TEDx talks and like Rupert, um, was his Sheldrake and all that type of stuff and, uh, and Simon Sinek. And, and I just kind of stepped out. I was like, man, I got enough information in his head to, to get the next thing done. And I found that when I was like listening to people, there's just like a lot of comparison and self judgment. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I tuned out, but what I am tuning into now is, um, I love Joe Rogan. Like he's, I love Joe Rogan. <laughs> you know, like there's something special about a guy that can get people of different races and religions you know, like sitting in the same space, talking about an issue that affects all of them, get them all to like just laugh about it and just be on such a high vibration. A guy that can get Elon Musk in a room and just smoke a doobie <laughs> with him, like there's, there's something behind that, you know, and I know it's not just marketing or whatever. It's just, there's just a realness to it. And it's, uh, yeah, I, I like people like that. Yeah, I have to agree. I love, I love Joe Rogan. Um, I love watching some of his documentaries, like where he questions everything and he's like going and breaking conspiracy theories. And then next minute he's talking about rear naked chokes and, you know, Kimura's and Arvaz. <laughs> yeah. I love that he's just, he really embraces the multifaceted personality that is him and allows other people to, to show all their colors as well. And I think that that's a real, a real gift of Joe's. Um, yeah. Okay. So on a, on a parting note, I've got two questions. One's like real super standard, but if you were going to have an Instagram quote board made, what would the quote say and why? Instaboard, like Instagram uh, uh, quote? Yeah, Instagram quote. Serve from overflow. Beautiful. And I think we've already heard why from, from what you've covered today. And then yeah. my last one is you get to go on a surf trip with two people. Who are they? I'd take my partner, Lo. She's such a cool little human. Um, I'd definitely go with her. And uh, can I choose anyone in the world? A anyone, dead or alive. Dead they, don't or even alive. Need to be, they don't even need to surf. You can teach them. Nah, I don't have time for that. <laughs> I love that. No, nah, um, who else? Who, who would I bring with me? Maybe um, third person. It'd be, it'd be someone that's got like good banter, good vibes, um, some good like conversations as well. I don't know. I think, yeah, I'd, man, I'd, I'd probably bring Richard Branson. I don't know why, but. I just get the feeling that I just want to tune into his head and uh, he kite surfs and does other stuff and I'll get him out on a long board and just sit, sit, sit there with him and chew the fat. Um, the Dalai Lama, if he was willing to, to do it, I'd probably bring him too. 
I think it'd teach, it'd reflect a lot of love and simplicity back in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, Jade, <laughs> some barrels and podcasts out there. We definitely have yeah. some laughs. Um, oh, okay. So where, which break are you taking us to? Where are we going on? Where are we going on this surf trip? Can't tell you. It's secret. Ooh, super secret. <laughs> but it, it's good. I love it. I love it. Well, I um, I must say, I the my first uh, episode that I recorded was with a guy named Steve Brosman, who's actually been to Necker and hung out with Branson, and he was telling me some stories off camera that I would say 100% he'd be a great person to to take along. Mm. Um, Jack Delosa actually tells a couple of really good stories. Um, from when he was there too. So I've got, I've got, uh, Branson is one of the people I want to have a conversation with rather than just, I don't want to just meet him. I want to have a conversation. I think paddling out with him would be a hilarious, um, oh. a hilarious day, but also really, really eye opening in terms of, it seems the wisdom that he, that, that comes from him when you don't even have to ask the question. Mm, exactly. So I love that. So I want to say a huge, massive, Thank you for sharing your morning with us, Rory, and your wisdom. And till next time, people. That's it. All good, Joe. Thank you so much for having me. And, um, you know, well, well done for having the courage to step into these podcasts. And, and hopefully, guys, there is a bit of value out of this. You know, you can keep in touch. Just check out rorycallahan.com. Pretty open and honest and vulnerable with all that stuff. I'll, I'll make time to, to chat with people, especially um, anyone in like a really cool vibration. And if I can serve or point in the right direction, then I'm pretty open to that. But like I said, I, I've learned to value my time as well. So um, yeah. please don't be offended if, if I don't get back straight away, but uh, I will do my best. One thing that people can do though, Rory, to, to get on, get on the, the Rory vibe to start off with is to download your self-care ebook, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I'll put that to put that together three years ago when I wrote the first one and the first uh, little download. And I just want to put that out there and just be like, Hey guys, here's a framework habit for free. Like, uh, it's just, it's, this is the first part of the consciousness. And over the last three years I've built out the next part. That's epic. I'll make sure that that's available in the show notes so everyone can get a hold of it, but they can find you online. And yeah, I think this is, this is the, the first step for everyone getting to know Rory and they'll love the journey and coming along and following you. Awesome. Jade, big love. Big love. Hey there, Barrel Chasing business owners. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode of the show. What would help us immensely is if you could leave us a five-star review on iTunes. If you feel like you got any value or entertainment out of today's session, that would be epic. What that will allow us to do is to spread the message and help more business owners like you to not only survive, but to thrive. Thanks so much. See you on the next show.